Well, good evening, everyone. Hey, not half bad. Not half good, but not half bad. It's funny that your pastor would make fun of my last name, uh, because getting to Africa, I didn't realize this, but I was the only white person in my village. So what happened is all the way up the country, let me back up. My wife and I were missionaries in Togo, West Africa for 12 years before we became missionaries in France. So I'm going to tell you an African story right now. So we're in Africa, I'm in Africa, and people point you out and they call you Yovo or Ansai, which means white man. And so it happens a lot. Just It's just a generic title that they give you. And for the first couple of years, I guess I was okay. I just settled into being called the white person everywhere I went. And then kind of started grinding on me a little because I have a name. My mom named me James. Now you can call me Jim or Jimmy or Jimbo or Jim Bob or Jim Bobway, whatever you want to call me. But, you know, preferably not white guy. So I started thinking. Now, Togo, when I got there, was 4 million people. And uh, there was 38 languages. English was not one of them. Now, if I had gone like 40 miles to the west of where I was living, would have been Ghana, and English would have been one of them. But God didn't call me 40 miles to the west. He called me there. So sometimes that was a bit frustrating. I was glad he called me where I, he called me, but it would have been a lot easier to do English. So... There was 37 other languages, and in our town, it was Kabye. So what would happen is we had a flat roof, and I would wash the clothes in the house with a wash machine, and we'd go up on the roof and hang our laundry out on the roof. We'd hang our laundry for the whole neighborhood to see, you know, just thinking about that expression. Anyways, we put out all of our laundry, and, of course, little kids, it was it was village, so we lived in a cement block house, but a lot of our neighbors, you know, this mud block. If you've ever seen National Geographic, mud huts, tin roofs, Thatch roofs, whatever, no dirt floor, no, no concrete floor. It was dirt, no running water, no electricity. People were farming. That's what we had. Half naked kids running around. When it rained, because we went through, we had two seasons, hot and dry and then hot and wet. So when we went into the hot and dry season, it didn't rain for four or five months. And when it did rain, all that water pooled on the roof and started coming off the roof into little tubes. And so the kids sometimes would strip down, start naked and just like, shower underneath the water. So anyways, that's a random story, but that is Africa. And so these little kids would walk around and they'd look up and they would see me and they'd say, Ansayovo, Ansayovo. And they'd wave at me. And I started thinking, I need to, I need to learn a little bit of Kabye. So in our church, I would speak French and I'd have a Kabye translator. And when we go out evangelizing or witnessing and it, same deal, because there's a lot of people about eight years and younger or about probably 40 and older that didn't speak French. And so I learned a phrase <clears throat> in Kabye, and so the kids would look at me and they'd go, Ansayovo, and I'd say, And they'd look at me and their eyes would get real big because what I just told them is, my name is James, not white man, okay? <laughs> and they look at me and they go, Yakubu, Yakubu. <laughs> so my wife and I were, I actually went to Africa single, in 2006 and served for three years there. And then I came home and I felt like I was an old geezer at 30 years old. And I thought, man, alive, how am I ever going to find a wife? And, um, you know, I didn't find one in Bible college, didn't find one in language school, traveling all those years, raising support, going to Africa. And I was like, I don't know. So um, anyways, I just kept praying and I wasn't home about two months. And I went into a church and they had a Christian school and there was a pretty young lady um, and we hit it off over some coffee, and we've been now married going on 10 years this summer. 
So we have three beautiful kids. Uh, somehow I had blonde hair, she's got dark hair, and all three of her kids have red hair. So her dad had red hair, but I mean, we never expected to have little redheads, and they're feisty, but uh, I'm super thankful for them. Um, God has been good to us. We spent 12 years in Togo, West Africa, uh, working um, in northern Africa, northern Togo, um, as church planners. And so we initially got involved in a church, and we we're pastoring it, and we would drive about four, maybe five miles from our house to the church. And so we started inviting the villagers that lived near us to ride with us, and some of them were just excited about getting in a vehicle. We had to teach people how to open the door from the inside because they didn't know how to do it. They felt like they were trapped in the car. They're just pushing on the door. They didn't know what to do. They've never been in a car before. So we started slowly taking people to church with us, and we eventually got up to 21 people in our little nine-seater and decided that God was doing something special, and it wasn't breaking our truck, which was happening. So um, we prayed a lot about starting a church, and God laid it on our hearts to go ahead and do that right underneath our gazebo in our yard. And so our very first Sunday, we had like 25 little kids. And um, one of our guards, one thing in Africa is you, you need to hire guards. And so we hired a deacon from another church, and uh, we told him what we were doing, and I didn't know that he was going to do this. He started praying about it, and he came to me and said, uh, Brother Jim, God's laid it on my heart. I want to help you start this church. And I was super excited about that because it's one thing for a foreigner to start a church, but it's a whole other thing for a foreigner to start it with a national. And there's a couple things that are really important in the Togolese culture. One is the older you get, the more respect you get. The grayer your hair gets, the more respect you get. And if you have kids and you're married, you know, so... So he's got all this. He's got age, he's got gray hair, and he's married, you know. And uh, when I first got there, I had no hair, so that didn't help. I was young and I wasn't married. So the perspective changed as all that started developing. But definitely having Mr. Cuckoo was his name. He wasn't a lunatic. His name was just Cuckoo. So having Mr. Cuckoo definitely was a huge help. And so uh, we ended up handing both churches over to national pastors at different times. The The one that we got to start was really exciting because – um, it started underneath our gazebo, and then we bumped it out onto a piece of property that our land, the place that we were renting our house, the, the homeowner owned that too. And uh, he let us stay on it for several years without paying any rent. And then we ended up buying a piece of property. A church contacted us and said, do you have any special projects? I said, yeah, we're looking to buy a piece of land. They're like, how much do you need? I said, I think $10,000. They said, you'll have it at the end of the month. And they sent us a check for 10000 and we bought three lots of land, and we ended up building a church building, dug a well, put a parsonage on it, and put a wall all the way around the property. So we were super excited about the physical part of it, but also the spiritual. Last month, I got a text message on WhatsApp. The Africans love to use WhatsApp. And uh, the pastor that's overseeing the church, he sends me a picture. He says, we're doing evangelization this week. We're doing a big campaign. Uh, we left him a projector. And he got a generator, and he was showing the Jesus film. I don't know if anyone knows what the Jesus film is, but it's in like 9,000 languages. So it was in Kabye already. So I've seen the Jesus film like in a bunch of languages, but never in English. So I don't know how many times I've sat there and watched it, you know, them talking in MOBA or Kabye or Ave or French, but never in English. And uh, it was an amazing experience to be a missionary in Togo, West Africa. But like all chapters in our lives, uh, Chapters close and new ones open. And so God began to work in my wife uh, and my heart about leaving Togo, West Africa. And so we handed the church over to a national, but we didn't want to be out of missions. And uh, 
we we prayed a lot about it, and there was another couple that were working alongside us. Uh, they had their own church in the southern part of Kara, in the city that we lived, and both of us taught in a Bible institute together. He had a doctorate uh, in theology, and so so we were doing good. And he told us when we told him, "Look, we're leaving." He said, "We are too." So we began. To, we didn't know that. We began to pray, and uh, we decided to go to Martinique together. This little uh, state. It's technically called a department of France in the Caribbean. So uh, we ended up coming back in 2018, spending about 14 or 15 months raising a little bit of extra support, doing the transition. God totally was in it. We didn't lose any supporters. We gained some new support, and we we're all ready to go down as a team uh, to build the first new church on the island in 15 years. And there's only about 15 Baptist churches down there, so they definitely needed one. So we got down there. Our teammates had gotten a couple months down there before we did, and we were pretty excited to get down there. Our container came in right before Christmas. We set up January and February, so this is two years ago. We start looking around for something to rent. Start finding out a lot of people don't want to rent to foreigners because they think they're kind of flaky. Some of them are, I guess. But anyways, they didn't want to rent. And others said, you know, we're looking for, this is a commercial center, you know, we're looking for a business that's going to be open six or seven days a week. We don't want to rent to a church because you're only going to be open a couple hours a week, you know, three times or whatever it might be. So we're having a lot of difficulty with that. So for about two months, we're hitting all these hurdles. And then all of a sudden, COVID happened. And I don't know what COVID was like here in Tennessee. I know what it was like in France. They shut us down three times. And when I say shut us down, like, you can't leave your house unless you have a document saying where you're going, and you can only leave for these specific reasons, like to go see a doctor, go to the grocery store. So my wife and kids didn't leave the house for over two months. When we came home, you know, we're like Lysol and everything down. We think, like, this is the Black Plague. You know, Everybody was scared at first, I think, because nobody knew. I had, like, an N95 mask for woodworking. I'm like, 80, should I go out with this on? And then I ultimately decided no, because they said after one usage, you should burn them. And I'm like, well, I'm not burning my face mask. You know, I need, to, I need that for sanding, you know. So anyways, it was crazy. But our teammates came to us about two months in and they said, listen, I think God's working on our heart about leaving. I said, what? We just got here. Like, we haven't been here six months yet. And um, like any good Baptist, I, I let him go and I called him the next day and gave him 10 reasons why we should stay. So he listened to the 10 reasons, and he's like, look, they're all good, they're all valid, but we just want to keep praying. And so for about two months, my wife and I kind of were in limbo. I don't know if it's ever happened to you where God just brings something or allows something to come into your life that just kind of sweeps you off your feet. I mean, we spent 12 years in Africa, and to be honest with you, it would have been way easier to stay in Africa. We had connections, we knew people. We could have started another church three more miles or even two more miles down the road. Could have spent another five or ten years there. It was hard picking up and going. The truth is you won't meet a lot of missionaries who have left one field to go to another. It's a really, really rare thing. So we knew God wanted us to be in missions. Uh, we knew that God didn't want us to leave missions. So it's like, what do we do? We came to be a team in Martinique, but now half our team's leaving. And with them is going the finances. And everything on an island's really expensive because everything's imported. So we prayed about all the options. We prayed about staying. We prayed about going back to the States, staying in ministry, getting out of ministry. And, uh, you know, our, our hearts went every, every gamut. We're praying, God, don't make us bitter. You know, and to this day, we're still friends with them. But it, it ran everything. You have all these emotions because their decision was impacting us. And 
we felt at certain times that's not fair. It's not fair that somebody else can make a decision that is impacting me. But oftentimes that's what happens. And and God allowed that insecurity to come into our lives. And you know what it did? It drove us closer to him. Every night we'd put our kids to bed and my wife and I would sit on the couch and we'd pray. We'd say, God, we don't know what's going on, but we know you do. Just show us what to do. So we called up. We were already in France. We already had French visas. Our car has a French license plate on it, you know. It's considered a domestic flight to fly from the island eight and a half hours across the ocean to Paris. And so we called up a missionary that I went to college with who had spent some time in the Ivory Coast and left because of war and is now in France. And we said, Danny, uh, we're praying about possibly coming up and working with you. What do you think? And he said, well, he said, I want to pray about it and I want God to give me a verse to let me know. So I said, "Okay, nothing wrong with that. I think that's great. It just took God three weeks or him three weeks to find it. I'm not sure which, but I felt like I knew from the beginning. Have you ever felt like you knew what God's will was, but somebody else didn't? So it took them a while to catch up. Anyway, so it took him about three weeks and praise the Lord. We were on the same page. Actually, all three of us, God, him and me, because he got back and said, you know what? I got a verse and he quoted the verse to me. I said, great. I've known for about three weeks, but I'm glad we're on board now. So, so my wife and I packed everything up into a container for the second time in like seven months or eight months, and we moved everything over to France, to the mainland. So it's kind of like moving from Hawaii to Nevada. Okay, so we same country, still in France, um, and it's been a blessing to work with Danny. Um, the church that we're in is a small church. Ministry in Africa, lots of opportunities to share the gospel. I mean, I'd, I'd go out with flip-flops, blue jeans, and a collar shirt and walk down dirt you know, dirt trails, handing out John and Romans, and people would say, what do you got? Can I have some of those? And they would ask for them. I, in all the years, I only had one person reject a trek, and that was like three months before I left. So they kind of ruined it because the story used to be I've never had a trek rejected until that guy rejected it. But, you know, people would take it all the time. I remember giving the gospel and then, you know, looking up 15 minutes later as I'm finishing, and there's like 15 people sitting there on the stones listening. Lots of opportunities to share the gospel. Now, I'd love to tell you that millions got saved, but the truth is, man's heart is hardened wherever you go. But faith cometh by hearing, and hearing cometh by the word of God. So God's word doesn't return void. If you can give that to them, God's going to work in their heart. And so I was excited about that. Now, life was tough, though. Ministry was easier. Life was hard. Uh, backup generator, backup water source. Uh, we drive seven hours down to the capital to get meat and cheeses and stuff like that. That was tough, especially the drive, especially with little, little kids, uh, newborns. We took every one of our kids back. They were born here. We took them back there as newborns. So that was tough. Uh, we've all had malaria. Um, it's, it was a roller coaster. France, super easy to live in. It's like America. You know, there's a boulangerie with fresh bread and, Fresh pastries a couple, you know, miles down the road. That's why I'm like 20 pounds heavier than I was two years ago. Because there's good, and my wife can cook. She really can cook. So, you know, it's just life is easier there, but ministry is tough. People don't want to listen. You can't knock doors there. You can put uh, literature in mailboxes as long as they say you can't put it in there. they got a little sign that says pot of pub, which means don't leave any advertisement. And so um, we go out and do that. And I believe that God blessed his faithfulness. I believe he, he blessed it. Years ago when I was in Bible college, I ran a bus route. And we would visit our regulars on Saturday. And then after that, we'd knock a couple streets where, where we didn't have anybody coming. And we'd just knock on the door and say, hey, I'm Brother Jim. I'm from Trinity Baptist Church. We're running a bus 
uh, through the area on Sundays. And we're just wondering, is there anybody that would like to come to church? And so, um, you know, a lot of times we'd get no responses. But God bless his faithfulness. And wouldn't you know it, like the next day, some mom would come beating on the side of the bus and make a stop and said, I got three kids at home. Are you the church bus? Yes, we are. Well, will you take my kids? Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll take your kids and anybody else that wants to ride. And, you know, that's just how God works. And so if you have your Bibles tonight, I want you to look for uh, the book of Second Kings. And, and I want to share with you a theme of faithfulness. And God has been faithful to us. Uh, there's a woman. Her name is Mariette. And uh, the, the really interesting thing about God and how he, he weaves things together is in France now, we thought, okay, we're going to the island initially in Martinique, and, and this island is, is really kind of a former slave colony that was working in the sugar um, fields and such and making rum. And so we're like, okay, it's just one step away from Africa. And then we're like, well, the door's closing. We're going to France. It's just going to be Europeans. And then we get there and come to find out that there's this apartment complex, one exit down from our house, where they put refugees that are seeking asylum. And, and they're coming in from the Middle East. They're coming in from Eastern Europe. And they're coming in from Africa. And so Mariette is from the Congo. And Mariette, has, um, she's got her kids living with her. And they all have really sad stories. People being trafficked. People being beat. Families being killed, wiped out. All sorts of things. And they're down there for, or they're in France for various reasons, seeking, you know, citizenship or a pathway to citizenship. And so Mariette's got a couple kids, and she invited me and Danny, who's the guy that I'm working with, we've got this church going, and invited both of us to come in, kind of doing a meet and greet. You know, here are some people that I know in my apartment building that are in a similar situation, and I just want you to meet them. And so this one woman came in, and her name, her name is Eunice. And Eunice is from uh, Nigeria, and she's got a nine-year-old daughter named Treasure. And so Eunice, uh, we meet her, we start talking to her, and we invite her to church, and she comes. And and really, these apartment complexes are set up where people have nothing. So they give them they give them free housing, free schooling, free health, a stipend to help buy food every month, to have a cell phone. And so they don't have transportation. And the weekends, the buses don't really run. So Danny and I, he takes his van, I take my car, we pick up people and bring them back to church. So we're still running. You never get the bus out of you. Once you get it in you, you never get it out of you. Uh, you can take you can take the missionary out of Africa, but you can't take the Africa out of the missionary. So that's another very true statement. So anyways, we, we we're bringing these people to church and Eunice starts coming. And a couple weeks in, God really convicts me about, listen, she's been coming to church, but you haven't sat down and given her the gospel yet. So I set up a time, which is very typical. I went over to her house and I walked into her little room in this uh, apartment building. And it's very much like a dorm building. There's like two beds, a small table, two chairs like a very small kitchenette and a, a bathroom. And so we sit down, and I asked her if she had ever accepted Christ as her Savior. And she gave me some some wonky story about how she prayed one time and how she felt like God answered that prayer. So, yes, she's saved. And so then I decided, okay, well, that doesn't really sound like a clear testimony. So I said, let's go to John 3. And so I talked about Nicodemus and how God said, or how Jesus said, you must be born again. And then we went through the Romans road and, then we went into Ephesians and talked about how it wasn't by works, it's by faith. And, and we went through all this for about 40 minutes. And at the end, with tears streaming down her eyes, I said, have you ever done that? And she's like, no. And I said, would you like to? And she said, yes. And so I, I'd love to tell you that happened all the time. I wish it had. 
but it doesn't happen very often. And somebody somewhere along the line had helped prime her where she was just ready. She was just ready, and she was. Somebody once said she was just low picking fruit. You know, I just went by and boom. You know, Paul said, "I planted Apollos' water, but God has given the increase." I don't know how many times I've gone by and I've I've planted in somebody else's water. You know, and just this time I just got to be there at the opportunity that she was ready and she invited Christ into her heart. And so that was just that was just early summer. And so Treasure, her daughter, had never been to camp, Christian summer camp before. And so uh, we were able to send her and she got super excited. She took pictures and showed her mama. She's like, look at all the food they have here. You can eat as much as you want. So she had a great time. She learned all about the Lord. And so um, I, I went to share the gospel with her as well. I, call, I talked to her mom at church. I said, I want to stop by Treasure, uh, by your house, and I want to talk to Treasure about Jesus. Is that okay? She's like, yeah. So I set it up for after church on a Sunday afternoon. I got over there, and uh, Treasure came downstairs to let me in the apartment building, and she said, Pastor, I'm really glad you're here. I invited some friends over so you can teach us all about Jesus. So I was pretty excited. I went up, and there was five of them. And so we opened up the scripture, and I got to share the gospel with five little kids. And so Treasure hadn't gotten saved yet, and uh, I was talking to her mom. Really big thing about the ministry that we have going on right now is it's kind of like a military ministry. If you know anything about the military ministry, uh, young men get sent overseas. You know, they'll get plugged into churches, or churches will try to find them, get them plugged in. And they're only there for three, four years, whatever it might be. And then they rotate out as they get posted somewhere new. And so I kind of feel like that's what's happening. These people that are there in these buildings, they're seeking permission to stay in the country. And the country's either going to say yes and then ship them to a different city where they can get education and, you know, learn how to work or whatever, job skills. Or they're going to say no and then they're going to, they're going to run because they don't want to have to leave the country. And so I feel like we've got this rotation and we're on a timer and none of us know when. So you've got to, once somebody gets saved, you've really got to disciple them. It's not just, hey, come to church and learn as much as you can. It's you're saved now, come to church to learn as much as you can. But we also want to teach you. Can I come by Tuesday? Is Thursday okay? And so we started doing discipleship with her. And I went through, you know, all sorts of different discipleship and we got to baptism and after the end of the baptism lesson, I said, would you like to be baptized? She said, well, you know, I just want to, I just want to grow a little bit more in Jesus before I get baptized. And I said, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but I just want you to know also that there's nothing preventing you from getting baptized. There's nothing you need to do. Baptism's not going to get you to heaven, but at the same time, you don't have to do certain things to get baptized. You don't have to be a certain spiritual level to be baptized. And she said, okay, okay. She said, I want to pray about it. I said, all right, you do that and I'll keep praying. So, I talked to her a couple more times throughout the summer into early fall, and uh, we were scheduling to leave November 1st from um, from France to come back through March. So March, I think second or third, we're flying back to France. And so I, I was talking to her two weeks before we left. Danny was with me, and I said, hey, Eunice, have you thought more about, you know, getting baptized? She's like, yes, and I want to. I was like, great, thinking, like, we're leaving in two weeks. We've got, like, one Sunday left. We can set it up. We'll get the baptistry. We had to we had to go out and get this big cattle water trough to set up in our church because we don't have a baptistry. And so I'm thinking, oh, I'm super stoked. You know, we're going to fill this thing up. We're going to bring her in. We're going to get to see her get baptized. And she's, I said, that's great. When are you thinking? She's like, middle of November. I'm like, ah. I was like, now, Eunice, you know that we're leaving at the beginning of November. We could do it like next week if you, if you want. No, no, I want to do it in November. 
was like, all right, well, that's fine. I said, Brother Danny will be here. He can, he can do it, and that'll be fine. So she got baptized uh, in the middle of November, and uh, Brother Danny's wife, Janice, led her daughter to the Lord at the beginning of December. And so I am super excited about what God's doing. I'm excited about being on a team. I'm excited about being in ministry. I'm excited about being in missions. I'm excited about seeing people get saved. Uh, I'd love to tell you that in Africa and in France, we had these huge Benny Hinn revivals where, you know, stadiums are filled and thousands are pouring down. The truth is it doesn't happen like that. Um, we could have done an easy one, two, three, pray after me. Everybody that wants to be saved, raise your hand, repeat this prayer. I promise you in Togo, West Africa, I could have written letters and said we had 200 people tonight at this evangelistic outreach and all these people got saved. But the truth is, that's not how it works. We ran a VBS. We had 33 kids that said they got saved. We went and followed up on them, and about five of them were actually saved. And so the truth is, you got to be very careful, uh, whether you're in Togo, West Africa, or France, or potentially even here, how you deal with people when you lead them to the Lord, and then continue with discipleship so that people can grow. So on the theme of faithfulness tonight, if you're in Second Kings chapter 2, oh, oh, let me say one more thing. We have some prayer cards in the back. If you want one, grab them. Got an email address on the back. We have a website. It'll give you more information. Um, feel free to contact if you have questions, um, you know, about the country or whatever, and we are happy to respond. Just help me out and let me know where I met you. So, I mean, you get in so many churches. Someone's like, hey, Brother Jim, this is Bob. Okay, Bob. And you're like trying to figure out where is Bob from? Because I have no idea. But, um, yeah, we, we try to communicate well. So if you, if you have questions, let us know. Um, second Kings chapter two, the Bible says this, uh, and it came to pass that the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven. You can stand if you'd like, um, into heaven by a whirlwind. And Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal and, um, Elijah, said unto Elisha, Terry, here I pray thee that the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophet that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophet that were with him at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it. Hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee, here. And the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophet went and stood to view afar off. And they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither. So they went too over on dry ground. What a miracle that is, huh? that he smote that thing, that God split it wide open, and that there was no mud, that it was dry. I mean, there's multiple miracles there. And they walked across on dry ground. And it came to pass that they went over, that they had gone over, and Elijah said unto Elisha, 
Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and a horse of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be in your house and thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would touch our hearts. I pray that you would encourage us. I pray that you would meet with us tonight. Lord, I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would just uh, focus my mind. I pray that you would touch my tongue and allow me to only say the things that you'd have me to say. Lord, I pray that you would go pew to pew, seat to seat, and heart to heart. And Lord, I pray that you would touch your folks. Lord, if there's somebody here that needs to be saved, Lord, I pray that you'd show them that need. I pray that if there's somebody here that's broken, Lord, I pray that you'd mend them. If there's somebody here that needs to be broken, Lord, I pray that you'd break them. But Lord, I pray that through all that you would be glorified. For it's in your name I pray. Amen. So you have this really great story, and it's to me, I'm taking the perspective of faithfulness. What you have is you have Elijah and you have Elisha. And so um, Elijah is the master. Elisha is the is the follower. He's he's following the prophet. He's watching God work. Um, Elijah knows that his end is coming. I believe that God has revealed that to him. And so what he's doing is he starts at Gilgal and he's working his way to Bethel. And in Bethel, there's a school and it's, it's where the sons of the prophets are. And the sons of the prophet are, are men who are studying what they have is the word of God. And, and they're studying that and, and they're seeking after God's face. And so they're not prophets per se, but they're sons of the prophets. Or that was the title they were given. And I believe that probably what had happened is, uh, is Elijah would pass through and he would stop in and he would encourage and he would teach and he would exhort and he would work with these men in these different areas. And that, I think, was part of his ministry. And so he gets he gets on to Gilgal and he says, look, Elisha, just stay here. He said, no, I'm not going to I'm going to be I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to stick close to you. So they get to Bethel and uh, there's a school there as well. And and he tells them the same thing. Just stay here. And, you know, you got these sons of the prophets, and it's really interesting because God's revealed to some of them what he's about to do as well. And so he's coming to Elisha, or they're coming to Elisha and says, hey, listen, you know that God is going to take your master from you today? He's like, look, I already know. God's revealed it to me too. So God is talking to everybody about what's going on. But in a way, it's almost like the men are discouraging him. I don't know that they were or meant to, but it was happening. And so what you have is the, the trip from Gilgal to Bethel was 59 miles, and they were walking this. So I don't know what that took, two or three days. They walked it together, and they walked, and they talked. And, and you have to realize that Elisha spent a lot of nights around a fire, cooking with this man, talking with this man, watching this man do these amazing miracles because he allowed God to work in his life. He walked with God, he knew God, and God used him because he was a vessel of honor. Are you a vessel of honor tonight? Are you willing and waiting for God to use you? Are you being faithful? So then from from Bethel, they go to Jericho. That's another 36 and a half more miles. It's another two-day trip. So each time the master's saying, why don't you just stay? He said, no way. 
He said, I've come this far. I'm not going to quit now. I'm going to keep going. So then they get to Jericho. They're on the banks of Jericho. And he watches the prophet take off his mantle, his jacket, his robe, wraps it around his hand and smotes the water. So now all of a sudden, this prophet Elijah has now been elevated to the same status that Moses and Joshua have been. God only did that to certain men. And all these men walk close with God. I mean, I, I'm just thinking, I, we don't have a ton of time, but this story popped in my mind. You got Moses going on the mountain saying, God, I want to see you. He says, no way can you see me. You're going to die. But here's what I'll do. Hide yourself in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to pass behind you. And you can see my backside. And God allowed that to happen with Moses. He comes off the mountain. He had to cover his face with a veil because he had spent that much time in the presence of God. So that's the first guy that, you know, the, the water's divided for him. And then you have, then you have Joshua. And he's just crossed over the river. He's at the hill of the foreskins. They're getting ready to go after Jericho and attack that thing. And here comes this captain. It could have been the pre-incarnate Christ. He bows down in front of him and worships at his feet. Angels don't ask somebody to take off their shoes because they're sitting on holy ground. So now you have this man. Only the second person ever to be translated. The first one walked with God for 300 years and was translated. This is the league of men that he's in now. And Elisha said, I'm not leaving. Would you leave him? I wouldn't. So he wraps his mantle, smokes the water, boom, divides it, and it's dry, and they walk over. What's going on? Fifty sons of the prophet are standing on a hill, and they're watching it. Parenthetically, where would you rather be? Would you rather God work in your life or stand on the hill and watch God work in somebody else's life? I would rather be letting God work in my life than sitting in the background. Let's not be like a football team where we're sitting in the stadium 78,000 strong watching 22 people do all the work. Let's be one of the 22 people doing the work. Let's quit spectating. So they get to Jordan, they split it, they cross over. That river was was anywhere between 90 and 100 feet wide and ranged anywhere potentially between 3 to 10 feet deep. So it, it was a pretty big deal that that split. It wasn't a little creek that they jumped across a couple stones not to get their feet wet. There was a true miracle that took place. There's four lessons about faithfulness that I want us to see, and then we'll be finished tonight. The first lesson is, and we're talking about um, Elisha here, his faithfulness encouraged him in difficult times. So what I want to encourage you is to be faithful to God. Why? Because one lesson that we can see here is when you are faithful to God, what's going to happen is there is going to be encouragement during the difficult times. When you're not close to God, man, you, you feel like, you okay, something bad's happened in my life. I'm not that close. I feel like I have to confess all the stuff on my chest before I can ever get to God and ask him for something. But when you're walking with him every day, it's super easy. His hand's already there. You just reach out and he's there. Instead of having to like wade through our mess just to get back to him. His faithfulness encouraged him in difficult times. All these men are coming and saying, hey, don't you realize that God's going to take away your master today? That was a difficult thing to hear. For years he had walked with this prophet and now he's realizing he's about to lose him. And this prophet was very important. Elijah was a judge of Israel. He was very, very important. The second thing is his faithful, 
his faithfulness encouraged him to continue. And that's what happened. You know, they're coming to him and, and Elijah, he's getting discouraged. And then Elijah's saying, hey, why don't you just wait? Why don't you stay? You don't have to keep coming. You don't have to keep following me. Just rest your feet here. Stay here. You can keep teaching these men here. You have a lot, Elisha, to, to, to be able to impart to them. He said, no, as the Lord liveth and as you live, I'm going to keep going with you. I'm not going to leave you. You know, when you are faithful to God, it's going to encourage you to continue with God. It's interesting, isn't it? The, if you haven't worked out in a while, you hit the weights and your muscles hurt. But the more you continue to work out, they don't hurt that much, and you get excited about going out and working out some more. Uh, spiritualness is the same thing. It's hard to get back into it, but if you'll stick with it, you exercise those spiritual muscles and it gets easier. The third lesson I want you to see is his faithfulness allowed him to see God do miracles in his life. If he hadn't been faithful, if he had just said, you know what, I'm going to quit. I'll just stay back here. You know what, Elijah, you're right. I'm just going to stay here. He never would have seen the mantle come off to smoke the waters, the water divide, the mud to dry, to walk across. He never would have seen the chariot of fire come down. And we didn't read it, but the mantle of Elijah fell to the ground when he left and Elisha picked it up and he walks back. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, so the miracle. It was an amazing miracle. He comes to him. He says, hey, listen, Elijah says to Elisha, he says, what can I do for you before I, I leave? And he said, I want a double portion. Now, a double portion doesn't mean... I'm getting an 8-ounce steak, so he wants a 16-ounce steak. The double portion, the concept here is kind of the concept of um, I've got multiple sons, and the first son gets the birthright, which is the double portion. That doesn't say that the second and third kid get nothing. They get something, but the firstborn gets double what everybody else gets. And so what he's saying is, I want that double portion of God on my life. He's not saying, I, I want double what you had. He's just saying, I want to be, to be validified, if that's even a word, bonafide, that I am the, the, the second. I am the, the birthright. I want my birthright. I'm following you, and I, I desperately want and need God's hand on my life. Because, see, here's what he realized. You can say whatever you want. You can act however you want. But if you don't have God's power on your life, you're going nowhere. And so that, in essence, is what he's saying. He realized that his master was about to leave. And if God's power wasn't on his life, it's just going to fizzle out. So you got these sons of the prophets watching him. Okay, so, so Elijah says, well, you've asked a hard thing. I can't, I can't give you God's power. But if God wants you to have it, then he'll give it to you. And here's the sign. And truly, he did see it. They're walking together, and this fiery chariot comes down and takes up his master and goes to heaven. And for a moment, he pauses and he cries, and he talks about how, you know, Israel is missing out on losing him, and they, and they were. And he picks up that mantle, and he wraps it around his hand, and he walks back to the Jordan, and 50 sons of the prophet afar off are watching. And he prays. And the very last miracle that Elijah did was the very first miracle that Elisha did. Maybe the biggest miracle 
that Elijah ever did was the very first miracle that Elisha ever did. And he prayed, and God allowed him to smote the waters and divided it, and he walked across. And that's my fourth point tonight, is his faithfulness. Due to his faithfulness, he was rewarded. He was faithful. He continued on. He persisted. And because of that, he was able to continue, especially during difficult times. He got to see God work, and God rewarded him. Where are you in your life tonight? Because there's multiple characters in the story. But the question is, are, are, are you more like the 50 sons of the prophet? Or are you more like Elisha? And what I want to encourage you to do is be more like Elisha tonight. Be in the action. Be close. Stand up for the things that are right. Ask God to help you. And expect that God's going to do something great. But it's only going to come through two things, being humble and being faithful. There's no way to be faithful unless you're humble. So let's humble ourselves at the feet of the throne and tell God that we're going to be faithful each and every day and then get up and be faithful each and every day. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, how it can strengthen us, how it can encourage us, how it can direct us how it can convict us. Lord, I pray that you would do the work that's necessary in the hearts tonight. And I pray above all that your name would be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pastor.